بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمد ونسلی علی رسول الکریم اما الحمد للہ جنائٹ از دا ٹوینٹی نائنتھ آف ڈسمبر ان دا ایئر ٹو تھاؤزینڈ اینڈ ٹوینٹی ٹو الحمد للہ وی موو آن ٹو دا ٹینتھ نائٹ of the illustrious companion, Sayyidina Anas ibn Malik, radiyallahu And I've started the subsection in which we're now taking a glimpse into our beloved messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam's love and education of his young cousin. And the last thing I mentioned was that he affectionately would call him Yadal Udhunayn, or you with the two ears. This is in Abu Dawood number 5002, Sahih in Sahih Ul-Jami number 7909. So like I mentioned, the Prophet was jesting with him, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. But also the scholars point out that he was highlighting that he would be a very attentive listener. And then I also mentioned that Anas was also given the kunyat Abu Hamza. Because he was seen plucking a vegetable which he ate and the plant was called Hamza. Which is recorded in Thinbudi. Indeed, our beloved Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he loved children. He would thus often interact with them. For instance, in Ibn As-Sini, Sayyidina Anas himself, he relates, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam once passed by us when we were still children. And he sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, As-salamu alaykum ya sibya. Peace be upon you, O children. So note, the Prophet ﷺ, he would interact. So one of the things that goes to a person's mind is, should I give the salam to children? Because it's obligatory to return the salam. And maybe they might not return the salam, so on and so forth. So the response to that is they're not accountable. They're children. So you give the salam. And the Prophet gave it to a, a, a group of children. As-salamu alaykum ya sibyan, i.e. or dear children. And similarly, Anas, he said, radiyallahu in Ibn As-Sini, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he jested more with children than anyone else. Subhanallah. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, jested more with children than anyone else. So this is the sunnah. So if you're not even interacting with them, how are you supposed to apply this sunnah? Some people think that if children talk to you, that's lack of respect. And this is far from the teachings of Islam. And in fact, look how strange this would sound to many elders. Because a lot of the elders, they're known for their humor. And yet, who did they share that humor with? Their own age group. <laughs> so the Prophet ﷺ, he would jest more with children than anybody else, meaning this is something that they love. It would then not come as any surprise to learn that Sayyidina Anas would later in his blessed life be often seen patting children in loving affection and supplicating for them. For instance, Salama ibn Wirdan, he said, I once saw Sayyidina Anas ibn Malik, who greeting the people. He then asked me, whilst I was a mere child at the time, who are you, dear youngster? I answered, a freed slave of Bani Leif. He then patted my head three times, and he said, May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you, dear youngster. 
This is recorded by Sheikh Al-Bani Rahmatullahi in his checking of Bukhari's Al-Adab Al-Muflad number 966. He states Hasan. So Anas obviously, he was echoing what the Prophet would do and he asked the youngster. And when the youngster told him where he was from, he parted him three times and he goes, May Allah bless you dear youngster. So what's interesting, there's a sunnah of the Prophet that if there's an orphan, he would move his blessed hand from the neck to the front of the child. But if it was not an orphan, he'd wipe the head from the forehead to the neck. So everything the Prophet does, this is in Tabarani, is priceless. So this is the sunnah of the Prophet It is also proven that the Honorable Imam Abu Hanifa, who was 10, around 10 years of age upon Anas's passing, had also seen Sayyidina Anas. Maybe he therefore was also a result of this dua of Sayyidina Anas. So when the Sayyidina Anas would bless the child, he would say, May Allah bless you. So it's highly likely that he did the same for Nu'man ibn Thabit, i.e. Imam Abu Hanifa rahmatullah. So maybe he's a result of the dua of Sayyidina Anas. Specifically with regards to the deceased unbelievers' children, Sayyidina Anas had once asked Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa what will happen to the children of the polytheists who passed away before maturity? For they will not be sinners. So they cannot be punished and neither will they have any good deed to their account of which they can be admitted to paradise. Those where will they be, Ya Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa the Prophet responded, Hum jannah. They will be the servants of the people of paradise. Hum jannah. They will be the servants of the people of paradise. This is recorded in Tabarani, Bazar, Abu Ya'la, Abu Nu'im, Abu Dawood, At-Tayalasi, Ibn Manda, and others. Shaykh al-Bani rahmatullahi states Sahih in As-Sahihah, number 1468. So this is shows again how he was developing. So notice now the questions he's posing. He's asking about the children of the unbelievers. And think about that. This is a common question that people ask throughout the ages. Is where will they go, Ya Rasulullah? In other words, they're not sinners and they haven't done any good deeds. Nothing's been accounted for. So the Prophet ﷺ told Anas, Hum khadamu ahlil jannah. They will be the servants of the people of paradise. So what's twitching? Anas was asking. Why? Because he had an affection for I, the children. This also explains why we have servants in paradise. For one can have whatever one wishes, merely by asking or wishing. Thus, what is the need for servants? And people don't even think, they go paradise, and think, brother, think. Allah mentions servants. So a person, if he's got any brain cells, which they haven't, is why do I need servants? <laughs> Here you need servants, because obviously it's, it's cause and effect. There you just click your fingers or even think Allah gives it. So the response is, you don't need servants. <laughs> and he goes, okay, so why are they there? Good question. <laughs> they are the children of the polytheists who died before puberty. They are now in paradise. <laughs> in addition, another reason, looking at them, their youth, freshness and beauty would also be another priceless eternal blessing of our true abode. So our looking at those blessed youngsters is a blessing. Why? For they are described by the Almighty and Glorious in the Quran thus in Surah Al-Tur, Surah 52, verse 24. 
اعوذ باللہ من الشیطان الرجیم وَيَتُوفُ عَلَيْهِمْ غِلْمَانُ اللَّهُمْ كَعَنَّهُمْ لُعْلُؤُمْ مَقْنُونَ Round about them will serve devoted to them. Youths as pearls will guard it. Subhanallah. Round about them will serve devoted to them. Youths as pearls will guard it. So if you look at this verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He uses an interesting word, وَيَتُوفُ عَلَيْهِمْ and this is uh, the root word for tawaf. Mm. So when you get the image of tawaf, that means they're circling around. So this indicates that they are constantly around the residence of paradise. And Allah Ta'ala describes them, لُؤْلُؤُمْ مَقْنُونَ Pearls well guarded. So meaning that they've been given extraordinary beauty, the huge servants of paradise. Their youth would be eternal. For in another sacred passage it mentions, in Surah Al-Waqi'ah, Surah 56, verse 17. يَتُوفُ عَلَيْهِمْ وِلْدَانٌ مُخَلَّدُونَ Round about them will serve youths eternal. يَتُوفُ عَلَيْهِمْ وِلْدَانٌ مُخَلَّدُونَ Round about them will serve youths eternal. So Allah Ta'ala mentions again that they're doing a tawaf around their masters. And they are eternal, meaning that they will never end, their youth will never end. And after mentioning exactly the same thing in another holy verse, it adds, in Surah Al-Insan, Surah 76, verse 19, If you saw them, you would think them to be like scattered pearls. If you saw them, Hasibnahum, you would think that they are like scattered pearls, meaning that despite their numbers, just like you can't get enough of pearls and the beauty of the pearls, they are like scattered pearls. So Lord Anas was the one who asked about the children uh, of, um, of the polytheists. And of course, it's not a chore for the children i.e. to serve their masters why because it's just an honor <laughs> to be in paradise is the greatest one of the greatest blessings and they are there indeed on countless occasions sayyidana anas will describe in detail his intimacy with our beloved messenger for instance in sayyid bukhari sayyid muslim abu dawood tirmidhi ibn majah ahmad darimi ibn khuzayma and al-adab al-mufrad number 1142 sayyidina anas he said the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam once came to us when we were chewed and he offered us the greetings of peace he then sent me on an errand for him whilst he sat in the street until i returned so if you look he's given the salam to the children and he tells anas Go and perform this task for me. And he stayed where he was waiting for Anas to return. I was late, therefore, returning to my mother, Um Sulaim radiallahu So she asked me, Why are you late, O son? I replied, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sent me on an errand, hence I was delayed. She asked, What kind of errand? I answered, It is a secret, O mother. She replied with a smile, then protect the secret of Rasulullah. <laughs> so look how amazing. You actually get to see his maturity. He's maturing. So when the Prophet told him something, he comes back to his mother and he goes, the Prophet told me to do something. This is why I was delayed. 
and he didn't disclose the secret. So Umm Salim obviously was probably testing his son. <laughs> what did he say? And she goes, it's a secret. And she smiled. He goes, protect the secret of the Prophet ﷺ. Clarifying further, Anas said, Allah, the Prophet ﷺ confided to me a secret which I did not disclose to anyone after. Indeed, my mother asked me regarding this, but I did not even inform her. <laughs> this is in Sayyid Bukhari, number 6289, in the chapter on asking permission. So what was that secret? Nobody knows. <laughs> Just think about it. He took it to his grave. He goes, I haven't even told my mother. He goes, I've never told anybody about it. Anas who would later say in praise of his beloved mother, Um Sulaim May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward my mother most handsomely. She had indeed fully discharged the responsibilities of my development. Subhanallah. This is in Ibn Sa'ad in his tabaqat. So Anas radiyallahu obviously he was given credit where credit was due and he remembered his mother's attention. And he goes, may Allah reward my mother immensely because she fully discharged the duties of my development. Now why didn't he mention his father? Because obviously he died in unbelief. Abu Talha was his stepfather. So it was a more of a responsibility on his mother. Consider also the following showing just how intimate he was with our beloved messenger sallallahu alayhi in Ibn Majah, number 2714, Sahih, Dara Kutni 4-69, Behaki in his Sunan Al-Kubra 6-265. Anas radiyallahu he said, I was once under the she-camel of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa and its saliva was dripping between my shoulders. And I heard him say, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given each person who has rights his rights, but there is no bequest for an heir. Subhanallah. So let's look at this. So Anas could have simply mentioned the hadith. Because I heard the Prophet say, and what is the command the Prophet gave? Everybody has their, their inheritance. Allah has given them their rights. But you cannot bequest an addition for an heir. So you can't say, I also leave this for my son. They get their rights. You can't leave anything else. Unless the others, you know, are willing to do this. But what was the first part of the report? Anas was highlighting something. He goes, I was under the she-camel, meaning that he was probably holding the, the reins of the camel. And the saliva of the camel was dripping on my shoulders. Now think about that. Normally you get out of the way. Why is he not even moving out of the way when the saliva of the camel is going on his shoulders? Because he considered it an honor to be that close to the Prophet Wasallam. So you get this impression that he was probably the first to hear this blessed command of the Prophet Thus note that Anas who was walking and probably holding the bridle of the blessed camel at the time. In a similar report, Anas also said I saw him on the day of the conquest of Khaybar when he was riding upon a mule with a rain made of dead bark. This is in Ibn Majah and Behaki. So Anas, during the when the Khaybar fell, i.e. the Jewish stronghold, he said, I saw Rasulullah on a mule with a rain made of dead pop. Now look how strange that is. He, the, the mischievous Bani Israel had been subdued. So you would expect him to be on a powerful horse, you know, as a victor. But Anas said he was riding a mule. And what was even more amazing, the rain was made of dead bark. So if you saw him, you're thinking, 
why? So he's highlighting, look, look how humble the Prophet was. Further describing the utter humility of Rasulullah and said, Rasulullah sat on a rough saddle during his journey for Hajj with a piece of cloth underneath it. He said, Hajj is without ostentation. This is in Bazaar and Al-Bidayah. So Anas is describing the farewell Hajj and the Prophet he goes, he sat on a rough saddle, meaning it wasn't even a comfortable saddle, but there was a piece of cloth underneath it. And he said, Hajj is without Riyah. He goes, just because Hajj is an open deed, you should still try to protect it as best you can. He goes, Hajj is without ostentation. Seeing such simplicity, the people upon observing him would spontaneously say, this is Rasulullah, subhanAllah. Hada Rasulullah, sallallahu alayhi wa This is in Behaki and Al-Bidayah. So think about that. When you say this is the messenger of Allah, you could, how were they saying that? They were saying it with amazement. As if to say, look. He goes, look at the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa the greatest of creation. Look how he's living and how he's riding on a beast of burden. As if to say, even though he's the most honored, of the children of Adam he's doing everything so simply and humbly a dos would not come as any surprise to learn that Anas would emulate our beloved messenger for Thumama said Sayyidina Anas who journeyed for Hajj on an animal with a worn out saddle and informed us that Rasulullah had done the same thing this is in Bukhari Bazaar and Al-Bidayah I think about that. We hear the report, the Prophet sat on a rough saddle for Hajj. Did it ever go through your mind for a moment, I'm going to do that? So that shows our commitment to the Sunnah. We just hear it, mashallah, subhanallah. The subhanallah, guys. Subhanallah. Have you made intention? No. So what do you say subhanallah for? Anas radiyallahu stayed away. Look, he's doing the Hajj. And what did Thumama, his student, say? He goes, it was a worn out saddle. And he goes, he informed us that Rasulullah had done the same thing. Now think about that. Some fruitcakes would say, this is pointless. <laughs> he goes, why are you going to such extremes in following the Prophet? He didn't command you to sit on a worn out saddle to do the Hajj. And the response is, are you teaching the Sahaba? <laughs> right? So the Sahaba were telling you that there is no such thing as redundant sunnahs of the Prophet If he does something and he doesn't prohibit you from it, Emulate, emulate, sallallahu alayhi wa And he did it only because of the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa Now, Hajj in those days, think about it. We sit on a plane. And if you've got a big lad next to you on a plane, you start mourning. You're thinking, oh my God, seven, eight hours, I've got this big lad sweating next to me. And somebody goes to you, and is sat on a worn out saddle for weeks from Iraq to do Hajj. Why are you mourning about this seat with the big lad next to you for? With air conditioning. <laughs> so note, you haven't prepared for the Hajj. That's what it means. You should think straight away, Alhamdulillah, Allah still given us great ease. I'm eating and drinking comfortably. In the good old days, the scholars say, the most difficult part of the Hajj was traveling. So, people would get to Hajj after weeks, if not months, and then people would love to honor the Hajjis because they realize they've come from other parts of the world. They would compete, please Haji, come and stay with us. And then it was easy because you had the, the people looking after you and you were doing all the rights, you were there. 
Now, because it's a Qiyamah, coming close to Qiyamah, everything's reversed. <laughs> Getting there is easy. <laughs> but when you get there, that's when the trouble starts. <laughs> and why is that? Because the Prophet said in Tabarani, authentic hadith, one of the signs of the hour is everything goes topsy-turvy. <laughs> right? And imagine just to think that the travel was the most difficult part of the Hajj. You really got to sit back and think, well, hey, well, you book a ticket, you get in a car, you go to the airport, you sit on a plane, you get in another taxi, you get to your hotel, that's it. People of all ask them, look into the books, how did they travel? But then to have a worn out saddle, if somebody goes to you, I'm smashed as it is, brother, it's sunnah. Brother, look, I'm telling you straight, I can't sit on a worn out saddle, I need a comfortable, you know, sponge on it and the rest of it and there you go and that's how much love they had for the Prophet they didn't mind the inconvenience and one last report in Tirmidhi Sayyidina Anas he said whenever Rasulullah shook hands with a man he would not withdraw his hand until the latter withdrew his and he would also not turn away his face until the latter turned away his. Indeed, the Prophet ﷺ used to not even walk in front of his friends. Subhanallah. This is recorded in Timbudi. So this is Sunnah. So when he would shake hands, the Prophet ﷺ, he wouldn't take his hands back first. And when he would look at his companions, he wouldn't turn his face away from them first. He would not even walk in front of his friends. And who told you all these characteristics? Anas. So why? We don't need to know, but you can work out rationally. Why would he not withdraw his hand? Because this may hurt the person. So he would not do that out of, you know, so he wouldn't hurt his feelings. He wouldn't turn his face away. Why? Because the person might get hurt thinking, oh, somebody may be more important he's turning to than Allah. And he didn't walk in front of his friends. Why? Because of pride. So if you want to deceive the Prophet, he wasn't in front, he'd be in the middle or the back. <laughs> and he actually said in one hadith, leave the angels to be at my rear. <laughs> what he meant by that was, I want to be at the back. <laughs> but he said it in such a beautiful way, he goes, leave the angels to be at my rear. And why was he at the back? Because he was helping the Sahaba as well. If they dropped something and they needed help, those who pulled back, he was there for them. But how strange a sight. If somebody goes to you, why is the Prophet at the back? This is his, his immaculate character, Hazrat Anas said. On another occasion, he said, in Sayyid Bukhari, any ordinary woman of al Madina would have taken hold of Rasulullah's hands, and then take him wherever she needed him to help her. SubhanAllah. This is in Sayyid Bukhari. So look what the hadith says. Anas radiyallahu said, any woman, so it doesn't have to be uh, from the Quraysh, from the Ansar, any woman would get, would take his hand and he would go with her to fulfill her need. Now think about that. How on earth is this, how can you apply this as a scholar? It's a sunnah. So obviously the Prophet was the leader. So somebody goes to you, right, which leaders have got this quality? Any woman. <laughs> You're going to need to get through bodyguards first. Forget about any woman. Okay then. Anything else I need to get through. Yeah. You need to book an appointment. The Pope. You know. Ahmad Dida. He goes. I wanted to talk to the Pope. And I had to go through secretary to get to him. 
And look at the example of the Prophet. Any woman would grab him. And not only grab him, he'd fulfill her need. Anas also said, just to wrap this up, in Sayyid Bukhari, once a woman who was mentally deficient went to the Prophet and said, Verily, I have some work for you to do. He replied, O mother of so-and-so, inform me where you want me to now go with you and I will finish your work. Rasulullah thereupon went with her and completed the work that she had for him. Subhanallah. This is in Sayyid Bukhari. Now think about this. This woman was mentally ill. So you know, you've seen people who are mentally ill. There's quite a few of them now, right? And they start asking you to do stupid things. And it's from help. And then where does he take you? Where is he taking me here? Go around in circles. The Prophet وسلم, a mentally deficient woman said, I've got some work for you. He didn't say to the companions, keep the mentally ill away from me. He replied, O mother of so-and-so, inform me where you want me to go, I will finish your work. Then he completed the work for her. Who narrated that? Anas. He goes, mentally ill people would come. Now these narrations, is another important point. These sahih hadith prove in case of urgency or necessity, a man may hold the hand of a woman. For instance, in today's day and age, when going for a job interview, and the female interviewer holds out her hand to welcome you, <laughs> and then you get a strange scene in it. With a Muslim, it doesn't stretch. So she stretched her hand out to welcome you to the interview. And you put your hand to the side. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm a Muslim. So straight away, is Islam there to put you at a disadvantage? No, no, you can't touch the female. The Prophet never touched. Who said that, brother? Who told you that? He's never touched the hand of a female apart from his wives and daughters. Who told you that? And he goes, well, which narration is it? Bukhari. Can't get much stronger. One was a mentally ill woman. And there was any ordinary woman understand. Any woman. The Prophet didn't say, keep your hands away from me. I'll fulfill your need. He goes, take me by the hand. Whatever you want. So now what does that mean? Because there's another report. The other report in Taburani, Sahih. Sahih, 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 the Prophet said, For one of you to touch the hand of a female he's not allowed to touch, it is better for you to be struck with a pickaxe on the head. To the nearest meaning. That's the hadith. So there's a contradiction. So now the response to this. That is without necessity. You understand? Right? So for no reason whatsoever. For instance, you go to the doctors. You should ask for a male doctor. But imagine you're in the hospital. He's there with your pajamas on. Female doctor comes. Can't touch me. Right? Stay away. She goes, she's just doing a job. Right? No, no, I don't touch women. Women. And at the same time, what impression are you giving to the woman? As if she's some sort of a dirty being. So the response to that is that is a misplaced sense of piety. Right? But just for the sake of it, then you keep away. No. For instance, the Prophet never took the Pledge of Allegiance from a woman. He never touched the, as Aisha said, he never touched the hands of us. Why? Because that's not a necessity. He just took the verbal declaration. Or there was a cloth, she would hold one end of the cloth, the Prophet would hold the other end of the cloth. But note here, you know, don't make life difficult for yourself as they say. So all I mentioned today was again a glimpse into his 
intimacy with our beloved messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam and also uh, uh, his education and not he was now progressing in leaps and bounds but any questions got ask سبحان ربي حمدي سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك اشهد ان لا اله الا انت استغفرك واتوب اليك واعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم سبحان ربي من العزه يوم يسوم والسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والاصل ان الانسان لفي خسر الذين امنوا وعملوا الصالحات وعصوا الحق وعصوا الصبر صدق الله